And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to another post-game head of the pack. Bill and I coming to you from Lambeau Field after the Packers' 20-10 win over the New Orleans Saints here in preseason game number two. Preseason games aren't very fun to watch. I was going to say they're not very entertaining to watch, but there were some entertaining aspects of this game and definitely some key takeaways from the Packers' perspective. I think number one and what we both wrote about first tonight was Romeo Dobbs. And earlier this week, Aaron Rodgers basically said after another day in which Dobbs had a really bad drop when he burnt Bradley Roby down the right sideline in joint practices and dropped a would-be touchdown, he said, if you repeatedly drop passes, you're not going to play. And Dobbs has repeatedly dropped passes this camp. But he's done just as much, probably more, good for the Packers. And given the current state of their wide receiver room, they probably have no choice but to play him. I asked Matt LaFleur that today after the game, basically. Listen, this is what Aaron said, but Romeo's doing a lot of good for you. Is he kind of forcing your hand to play him in games that count? And LaFleur essentially said, yes, <laughs> you know, it's going to be a process, but we really like what he can do. And quite honestly, uh, the Packers might have to not go against what Rodgers is saying, but make an exception. Yeah, Matt, he can want to go. He, he might have more faith in Lazard and Watkins and Cobb. But what have they done? I mean, you've, you've seen every practice. Lazard's had some moments. Watkins made some plays in the joint practices. Cobb's done little. How are they going to manufacture a passing game with those three guys? So I, I you're right. I don't, I don't see how they can just rely on the three veterans because there's just not a lot of separation there and, if Lazard is their best guy, he's going to face the best corner, right? So, yeah, I don't think there's any choice but put him out there. And kind of like Veldas Gantling, you, you take the drop for the, for the big play that you're going to get. And they're, they're going to need someone who can stretch. He's the only guy who gets open repeatedly, which is why he's got more drops than everybody else, is because he gets the ball thrown more than more The ball and, and thrown more to him. It's late. <laughs> God. And that's what I wrote in my story tonight. Like, there are four guys, four wide receivers, I should say, right now who are locks to be on the team and on the field in week one. And that's Alan Lazard, Sammy Watkins, Randall Cobb, and Romeo Dobbs. We know Christian Watson is going to be on the team, but we don't know if he's going to be on the field. We don't know if Amari Rogers is going to be on the team. We think he will, but it's not a lock. And even if he is on the team, he hasn't done much to to earn Aaron Rodgers' trust. I can tell you right now, Aaron Rodgers will not be throwing nope. more than one pass to Amari Rodgers in week one if he's on the team. Juwan Winfrey is much closer than that. Rodgers has singled him out twice during camp, uh, praising him. But he's no lock to make the 53 yet. Uh, so it's really Dobbs and then the three veterans. And like I wrote tonight, 
out of any of the seven guys that I just named, Dobbs has made the most plays. He can stretch the field the best. And in a wide receiver room without your biggest, two biggest big play threats from a year ago in Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Dobbs is going to keep getting his chances. And whether he takes advantage of them or lets them slip through his fingers, pun very much intended, that could dictate how far this Packers passing game goes early in the season. Yeah, no doubt about it. There's, there's no, I mean, obviously Christian Watson is going to be able to do it when he gets back, but as it stands now, he's the guy who's going to get open by, by getting deep. That play against Roby, it was amazing. Bradley Roby's a veteran cornerback and an athletic dude, and Dobbs just like runs past him. Like he's going stride for stride, and Rodgers throws it up, and he just has this extra gear. He's the only guy who's got that. Lazard's got that sneaky speed. Watkins doesn't have that. Cobb doesn't have that. And as unsubtle as this group is, it's hard to see these guys, man, isn't it? To, to go 12 plays repeatedly for touchdowns to win football games. At some point, you gotta, yeah. at some point you're going to have to strike for 30 or 40 and get a big game. I will say this, too. If your defense is really good, which they should be, you probably can afford to roll the dice here, right? If he, if he lets one slip through his fingers to steal your pun. You're probably going to be okay. Yeah, and it seems like, listen, I know there was the infamous Mark Daniels question to Matt LaFleur after the Colts game two years ago, how can you live with MVS? The same thing kind of applies here. But, and maybe I'm misremembering, but Romeo Dobbs certainly seems to create separation on a more consistent basis than Valdez Scantling did. Yeah, no question. So if the if the Packers lived with MVS, then they're certainly going to live with Romeo Dobbs. Yeah, he's a really good route runner. I mean, he's open all the time. Not all the time, but pretty close. I mean, even going up against the ones and with Jair and those guys, he's been open a lot. And it's the only guy you can say that about. What would you think of Jordan Love's night tonight? I thought it was a little bit of a mixed bag. LaFleur said for the second straight week, the stat line doesn't tell the whole picture. It never does. But, you know, completed 50% of his passes, 12 for 24, 113 yards, one touchdown. No interceptions tonight, which is obviously promising after the three last week. I obviously know not all of those were his fault. Um, But you also have to take into account that 12 for 24. While it did include a couple more passes to the flat that were errant that led to incompletions, and I wrote that tonight, he's got to get those fixed. He, he makes the difficult throws. The one uh, on the high crosser across the field, that was redundant, a crosser across the field. It is 12.39 a.m., so forgive me. Uh, to Winfrey was a phenomenal throw. The one down the left sideline to Samori Toure, phenomenal throw. LaFleur lamented again the drops. And obviously, everything around Love has to be better. Uh, the pocket collapsed a couple times, and I thought two decisions that stood out to me that were impressive of his of his were the first play when he scrambled up the middle for 11 yards when the pocket collapsed. And then down near the red zone when he threw it incomplete to Patrick Taylor, he ran around like a chicken with his head cut off for a couple seconds. I was like, oh, he's either going to fumble this, throw an interception, or get sacked. And then he made a wise decision to throw it away. And sometimes the plays that result in no yards show signs of growth. And I thought that was one of them. So LaFleur was complimentary of his uh, presence in the pocket when plays collapsed. And also some of those difficult throws that he made. I thought it was a, a slight step up from last week. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you singled off that play, the chicken with his head cut off play. Because I saw that one too. He tried to get out to the right to extend it, and that was cut off. And he tried to go to his left, and that was cut off. So, I mean, he could have taken a sack and lost 15 yards. He could have chucked one and hoped for the best. 
He threw it to Patrick Taylor in a spot that only he could catch it, and he was out of bounds. I thought that was a really good play by him. It's, I can't believe we're, we're, we're breaking down an incomplete pass. Jesus. That's right. But So you got the two drops by Dobbs. You got one by Toure. You've got... One by Amari Rodgers. One by Amari Rodgers and one by Dexter Williams. So in theory, so you got the final numbers are 12 for 24 for 113. If those five are catches, it's 17 for 24 for what? 200? Two and a quarter? That word. Yeah, and then you take you, then you take into account like the Patrick. T- Listen, I'm not trying to just back up love. Do I think he's ready to be a starting quarterback? No, but all I'm saying is our job is to put into perspective his play beyond just the numbers on the stat sheet. So, listen, there's always going to be drops. After every game, we could say these would actually be Aaron Rodgers' numbers. Every quarterback in the league would have better numbers if, you know, we added numbers to his completions because of drops. But when evaluating a young quarterback like this, who doesn't have a big sample size out there for us to judge on, I think it's important we put it into context, like you were just saying. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, look, the number one offensive line... um, Patchwork, the number two offensive line. How many of those guys are going to make the roster? Caleb Jones, the left tackle, not making it. Um, I believe it was Cole Van Lannan at left guard. He might. Center was Jake Hansen. He might. The right guard was Sean Ryan, who's going to make the roster, but he's done jack uh, poop. And then the right <laughs> tackle was, uh, oh, God, who the hell was the right tackle? Um, Zach Tom. Zach Tom, who's going to make it, but... I mean that's that's not a very good line. None of those guys are ready to play. So that's who he's. That's the blockers, and he's thrown to a bunch of receivers who may or may not make the roster. It's 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 tough. Whether you're him or you're Ian Book, these games are just, they, they got to be miserable, talk, right? Talk about a chicken running around with his head cut off. Ian Book covered every blade of grass on that field tonight, man. Yeah, that yeah, second to last drive, he was everywhere. He's like Johnny Ooh. Cash. I've been everywhere, man. Speaking of quarterbacks on the run. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on a couple quick hitters before we get into the questions because you guys brought some good ones and a lot of them tonight. Danny Etling, man, is he is he the best running quarterback in NFL preseason history? Huh. It was funny because Aaron Rodgers was live on the broadcast with Kevin Harlan and John Kuhn discussing how recently in the quarterback's room they were teasing Danny Etling, bringing up – I don't know if it's teasing because it's complimenting him. Uh, I believe Matt LaFleur used the word teasing – when they brought up film of his 86-yard touchdown run while he was with the Patriots in the 2018 preseason, which was his rookie year. And then right after Rodgers gets done finishing that story, Etling sees the safety crashing down off the edge, sees an opening on the back end, and takes off around the right end, uh, pulls it on the keeper, and goes 51 yards for the touchdown. LaFleur said that was not the play call. He said it was a hell of a decision by Etling, and he said he's making our decision tough. And I did not take that to mean he's making the decision uh, who to make the backup quarterback tough. I took that more as they're making uh, he's making the decision whether to keep two or three quarterbacks tough. I cannot imagine a world in which they keep three Correct. quarterbacks. But I will say, the more he does stuff like this and, and the good stuff he put on tape against the 49ers, you get a maybe a tiny bit of an inkling, not a big one, that he might not make it through waivers if there's a team who wants to keep three quarterbacks on their 53. I think the Packers can still sneak him through to the practice squad, but you know we saw last year 
if Rodgers you wouldn't go down with COVID this year because I don't think they're testing guys anymore, but Kurt Benkert had to be back at quarterback for a game against the Chiefs. Who knows if Rodgers gets hurt this year, uh, if Danny Etling would have to be. He's one play away from going in and playing in a real game. So number three quarterback's an important spot, even if he is on the practice squad all year. Um, and I think that's what LaFleur meant when he said he's making our decision tough. Yeah, Cousins missed the preseason game with COVID. So, I mean, he could, right? So now, now Jordan Loves gets blindsided and all of a sudden it's the Danny Etling show. Um, because I'm, I'm an idiot and I had a minute to burn. The Packers running game always stinks in a preseason, so I looked up. It was the longest run by a Packers player in a preseason since DeMond Parker in 2001 and the longest touchdown run by a Packer in the preseason since Herbert Whisper Goodman in 2000. He had a 56-yard touchdown. I don't know know who either of those guys are. Yeah, no one does. Whisper Goodman was a preseason hero. Speaking of running game, and this is another guy I highlighted in my story, I know Brian Gutekunst likes Patrick Taylor, but man, Tyler Goodson is going to make that decision tough for who to keep as that third running back. I think they're only going to keep three. And if Kylan Hill isn't off pup yet, why not just stash him for the first four games? Um, But it's going to come down to Patrick Taylor or Tyler Goodson and some of the bursts that Tyler Goodson has. And, you know, he's, he's done some good things catching passes. He's, he's averaged over 10 yards per reception the last two weeks. And there's no surprise he was one of the most productive pass-catching running backs in the Big Ten at Iowa. I would keep Goodson right now if you're going to need a running back to play 10% of the offensive snaps this season. I know Patrick Taylor, whenever he's running, he always seems to get between, you know, four and six yards. Like, he can always, he probably can push forward a little bit more in, in a pile than Goodson. But, man, Goodson hits a hole pretty impressively. And he ran 10 times for 42 yards tonight. That's not bad. Yeah, I asked Goody about that on on Thursday, about the number three job, uh, mostly for my own 53-man roster projection. And he gave a great answer, but <laughs> he said it's going to be the most consistent guy and the guy who they can run their offense if he needs to play in pass protection. Pass protection. and it's it, Pass protection, yep. And all, all, all those answers that he said, they all said Patrick Taylor was, was the number three running back. But you're right. This guy's got a second gear that no one else has. Well, Aaron Jones probably has, but among the backup core. Uh, we've seen it all camp. If, if he's got a chance to get around the corner, he he beats defenders around the corner. Got really good hands. He's an explosive guy. Patrick Taylor had some holes tonight. He just couldn't quite get through them. Goodson gets a hole, he gets through them. Right. And, and Bill, like you said, that third running back spot probably – will not be determined by who can catch passes and run the ball as well as the other guy. It's going to be determined by who can pass block. And like Matt LaFleur said tonight, who can contribute on special teams? And guess what? Patrick Taylor had a really nice blitz pickup on a linebacker tonight that allowed Jordan Love to step up in the pocket and I believe find Jawan Winfrey, if I'm not mistaken. And then Patrick Taylor also had a nice special teams tackle uh, on a kickoff return to keep a kickoff return short of the 25-yard line, if I'm remembering correctly. So, listen, Tyler Goodson probably does the running and the catching better than Patrick Taylor, but the two things that the head coach and the general manager have pinpointed on what that spot will be awarded to or who that spot will be awarded to, Patrick Taylor probably does the pass protection and the special teams better at this point. So it's going to be really tight. You know, obviously my 
stupid brain gets attracted to, ooh, he catches passes and runs the ball. But if you're going to have a guy that's going to play less than 10% of the offensive snaps, you're going to need him to do the pass protection because when he's in there, he's probably not going to be touching the ball. And the special team's better. And right now, Patrick Taylor is that guy. So if I had to do a 53-man projection right now, I would probably give the edge to Patrick Taylor. But Goodson's making it a difficult decision. Yeah, here's the quote from Goody. I was trying to find it. I think overall there's consistency. Like, if we do have an injury, can they fill one of the roles that those other guys, that those other two guys are in right now? As you guys know, the big jump from college to the National Football League is usually in pass pro for these guys. They just haven't been exposed to it a lot. And being able to protect our passer is first and foremost. So there you go. Patrick Taylor's making the roster. Until he doesn't. Until he doesn't. Until until he doesn't, right. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, let's get into some questions. Actually, one more thing I want to touch on since uh, there is one thing I noted in my story tonight that I think is a, is a downside is is there's one guy who the GM and the head coach talked up all offseason mm-hmm. who is going to make it really hard to keep him, and that's Tyler Davis. Um, he's had penalties in practice. He's had drops. He had the drop against the 49ers that led to an interception. He had a holding call that negated a 17-yard completion from Love to Dobbs when the Packers were already backed up. Uh, he had a simple catch over the middle that he fumbled, which led to a Saints touchdown drive. I know they cut Dom Daphne, and I know Robert Tunyon may not be ready to play week one. So Tyler Davis could very well make this 53 out of, you know, because the Packers are forced to. But, man, he is not playing like a guy who deserves a 53-man roster spot. Yeah, you're right. You know, it's it's like a running back who fumbles the ball. You can't have him. He can't be in your football team. And this guy has been responsible for two turnovers in two weeks, and that's, you know, these guys just don't have the margin for error to overcome that stuff. They, they talked him up. Man, Goody and, and everyone, they talked him up all offseason. 
and and here you are with man. I I don't know. Other than than Tunyon just not being ready for either full time duty or just not being quite ready at all. Whew, but if Tunyon's ready, I, wouldn't you rather go with Elise? Is Elise? Elise Mack. Elise Mack. Elise Mack. He's, Alize- Alize Mack. Alize Alize Mack. Mack. Now, he's had a couple he holding penalties, he, the too. The hyphens on the E. All right, well, I don't yeah. know my hyphens. Um, he's got a couple holding penalties, one on special teams and one on offense. But, um, boy, oh, boy. He's been the most, yeah, I would say the most disappointing guy in the roster for as much as they built him up into being this athletic guy who can. And that's not his fault. It's not his fault that we kind of had higher expectations for him than maybe we should have. No, but, you know, he's the guy with the Tunyon kind of skill set, right? Because that's not Mercedes. Um, Josiah DeGuara is a tight end in a name only, but he's really more of a fullback. I mean, he's not cut off for for that. He's the Davis is the one guy who can who has the size and athleticism to do some of the Tunyon stuff. But can't drop the ball and he can't fumble it. And he's a converted quarterback like Tunyon. Yep. So that's what he has going for him. Uh, all right, let's get to some questions. All right. Let's bat lead off with the pride of Cucamonga. That kind of reminds me of Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> this little, little cornholio. But anyway, who got yelled at for being negative, Matt? I was not in the floor. Uh, I don't really want to answer this question, oh, I but I you guess did. I will since right. since our, our, our listeners uh, asked it. You know what? I'm not going All to. Right. They can go listen to it themselves. All right. This team is still making silly special teams mistakes. Are we actually seeing improvement under Basaccia? I mean, do you call improvement trotting out 12 guys on one punt return and then 10 guys on another? No. It averages out to 11, Matt. I understand. Listen, (laughs) I'm not making excuses, but these are not the guys who are really going to be playing on these special teams units. And even if there are some of them, you'd have to imagine that, that the main special teams guys come the regular season won't be making those mistakes. Because, listen, if there's a guy... In a who like is in a special teams meeting this week and and isn't ready to play or is in an offensive meeting well special like it's just a mishmash of stuff going on in the preseason when you don't know if you're going to be on this unit or not there are so many guys out there that being said you got to have 11 guys on a punt return unit you just have to there are some nice things going on with special teams the new kicker made a couple field goals tonight your guy Amari Rogers obviously had the nice return last week, but man, there's just PTSD around here from not having the right number of guys on the field on special teams. And that's got to change. There's the clip of Rich Basaccia against the Bengals in the playoffs last year when he was the head coach of the interim head coach of the Raiders counting how many guys are on the field. And that was shared ironically because the Packers obviously didn't on the game winning field goal attempt by Robbie Gould in the playoffs. Well, guess what? It's not so funny now, is it? Because the Packers trotted out the wrong number of guys on two consecutive punt return attempts. Yeah, you hit all that, Matt. Um, it's like the, the number one, it was punt return. Like the number one punt return that we see at practice is not the number one punt return we saw tonight. Because some of those guys are inactive and then they shuffle some guys around to make the playing time work out. So I, I kind of get it to some extent where they yell, number one punt return. Well, that's nor- not, it's not normally you. But you are tonight, so I, I guess I can understand some of it. But they have three special teams coaches, Matt. They have Basachi and two assistants. Isn't someone counting? Jesus. All right. 
Max Thompson All right, is not – no, Okay. I want to get this question in. Right. Kyle Cousineau, the mayor, hypothetical Packers media Royal Rumble. Who wins and why? You know what? I think Wes would be sneaky because he loves oh, he, he loves MMA. He loves talking That's with nice. he loves talking with Mercedes about MMA. Maybe he knows stuff. You yeah, gotta pick yourself. I love I love Wes Hodkowitz. He's maybe the nicest person I've ever met in my life. But and and I'm not setting this up to say my answer is myself. I'm 6'1", 175. I have the height, but I don't have the girth. Wes isn't built to win a Royal Rumble. Come on. He's built to win a manners contest with all due with all due respect. And I think he would say the same. I do agree with the point that if there's one person who's most knowledgeable about that kind of event, it's him. But guess what? I, th- I would like to think I'm pretty knowledgeable about football. That doesn't mean I would win in a football game. I would get killed, legit, like literally killed. If someone had to win in a Royal Rumble, I would say John Miller, who's a, a sports reporter for NBC26, the local TV station here. He's a former Marine. He is built like a goddamn house. His arms are bigger than my legs. Uh, he's tatted up. I am too, but my arms aren't as big as his. I would pick John Miller to win a Royal Rumble because he is built like a brick house and nobody could move him. Well, that's all true. I was just thinking about the writers. That's fair. So, no, I, you're, you're right about Packers John. Me- John would. He said Packers media. It'd be, it could be three on one and John would win. Yes. He'd sit back and take a nap. All right, Max Thompson. Boy, Max is, he's just overflowing with optimism. This team will not be ready for week one and expect mm. to get embarrassed. What say you, Matt? I mean, the offense might not be ready for week one, figuratively speaking, but the defense will be. Yeah. And I, I see no reason why the defense can't can't win them games. Now, listen, if Elton Jenkins doesn't play week one, I think he will, by the way. Uh, even if David Bakhtiari doesn't play, that's way better than having Yash Nyman and, and Royce Newman at right tackle for, for Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter to tee off on. Um, if Elton Jenkins plays, I think the offense has a chance because Rogers just having that much more time on one side of the line could mean a world of difference. And guess what? We've seen it against really good teams in the past. And I think the Vikings are, are a well above average team this year on paper. Um, they can make things work like they did against the Cardinals last year. The Packers have a really good running game. Very, two really good running backs. And it, they can devise a game plan uh, to win a game like they did against the Cardinals. Run the ball, have a couple opportunistic passing plays, and just try and shut them down on defense. So will the offense be ready? Maybe not. But I think the running game and the defense will be, and we know that's enough that can win a game. Matt, that defense kicked the Saints' ass all week. Those two days, the number one defense just killed them. Now, I, I realize Granted, I, it's Andy Dalton, right? <laughs> but that's that's true. But I'm just, I'm just talking about up front, right? And the Saints' offensive line is they got Ram checks. First rounder, I think, is making a crap load of money. Um, they just drafted Penning in the first round. Uh, their center is Ruiz, who maybe a second. First I guess pick. was he a first? First round pick. Okay, so that's three first rounders. 
And Green Bay just stampeded through those guys for two days. They'll be fine. So yeah, you're right. The offense might struggle. The defense is, the defense is ready for week one two weeks ago. From Jacob Schumacher, is a Nagberry edge rusher number three? Certainly looks like it after the last couple of days. Didn't do much tonight. Had that bad horse collar tackle. But uh, in both joint practices, well, I don't know about the second joint practice. Uh, in the practice before the 49ers game, in the first joint practice when I was watching the defense, you'd know better since you watched defense the second day. And then um, in the 49ers game, I'm going, I'm getting my timeline mixed up. There were three like consecutive days where Nagberry looked like a guy who should have that edge rusher number three spot. I think obviously the first two are set. I think Jonathan Garvin, Anagberry, Tipa Nalai, and Ladarius Hamilton are battling for three spots. And I think Anagberry is pretty safe. He's safe on the roster, but I would give the third edge rusher spot to him or Jonathan Garvin. It's pretty up in the air. If we're talking about what have you done for me lately, it's definitely the rookie. Yeah, I, I'm assuming it's going to be Garvin because he started. Right. Um, he, and he barely played against, I don't know, we don't have the snap counts for tonight yet, but he barely played against San Francisco, which I took to mean that, yeah, we know what you are, Jonathan, we're going to move on. But um, And Agbar is great on Wednesday. He had the game, quote-unquote, game-winning sack on both two-minute drills, the starters versus starters and the backups versus backups on Wednesday. Yep. And some other ones, too. And again, he 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 bulldozed Penning on one. Um, So, I mean, it wasn't like he was beating up on you know, a bunch of schmoes. He, he was beating up against legit starters. So he's been, he's been phenomenal. I've not, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to think of a guy who's gone from so far down that, I mean, he, he was with Chauncey Matt Manic as like the last tandem and outside linebacker like a week ago. Yeah. And now he's just been destroying everybody. So yeah, he's, but I, I would think Garvin's going to be that guy. And Maybe as they get going here, and Angbury can take that role. I I would think Garvin here in week one. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic. From Benny Boy 209 is there anything Jordan Love can do for the Packers to pick up his fifth-year option? The only way they pick up his fifth-year option is if they are 100% certain that Aaron Rodgers will not be on the team in 2024. Yep. Because that would guarantee Love's fifth-year salary in 2024. Around twenty million, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have even the slightest inkling that Aaron Rodgers will be on the team, you cannot take that risk and have two quarterback contracts like that on the same roster. Now, they will know whether Aaron Rodgers wants to continue playing by the time they have to pick up Jordan Love's fifth year option. I believe it's May second. But it could be. Rodgers said to us in the off season uh, during mini camp, it's a one year deal with two more years tacked on. So after this season, does Rogers say I'm committing fully to 2023 or does he say I'm committing fully to 2023 and 2024? If it's just 2023, they still don't know if they should guarantee his fifth year option. 
even if they feel like his play has warranted it, which at this point, I don't think it has. If Rodgers says I'm committed to 2024, regardless of how well Love has impressed them, you can't exercise the fifth-year option. So it has to do more so with Rodgers' future than how Love actually plays. And, you know, because of what Rodgers said about the two years tacked on, maybe he says I'm committed for the next two years. But if he just says I'm committed for one more year, and he doesn't owe the Packers a two-year commitment. Like, he can just say one more year, and that's fine. But it also puts them in a bind then when it comes to Love's fifth-year option. Yep. agree with all that. And I, Rodgers is going to screw these guys over. Um, but you're right. It, it is it is a lot less to do with Love's performance in these games or if he starts a game or two this year than it is it's the finances. Yeah, I think it, that, that's what it boils down to. It's a salary cap. You nailed that one, Matt. One more here from Benny Boy with the special with the uh, with the ver- still very much existing special teams issues. Should the Packers have two kickers on the roster? Mason Crosby for field goals and some random Joe Schmo that can boot it through the end zone every time. No, no, I... because it's it's not it's not. While that's uh, I I like where your head's at. You can't, I, and I'm going to use the word waste, which might seem like an exaggeration because there are 53 players on the team, on the roster, even though Goody says there are 69. Um, including the 16 practice squad players, which is fine because you have all the call-ups and whatnot and all those guys at your, at your immediate disposal. But you can't use two 53-man roster spots on two kickers. There's too much wrong that can go elsewhere with injuries at spots like safety and corner and outside linebacker where you need more depth not only to play, but to play in case of injury. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they keep the guy they have now Ahmed on uh, on the practice squad for a reason like that, especially since Crosby has been dealing with some injuries. But I still think Crosby is going to be the one kicker on the 53. Yeah, did they keep JJ Molse on the practice squad all last year? Like, yes. So, and with Crosby's contract up after this year, I would stand a reason that if Ahmed keeps kicking the ball well, that they'll keep him on the practice squad all year, and they'll have at least one semi-proven-ish guy. Um, at this time next year. Interesting conversation right. here. This involves Kenneth Slice and a couple others. Okay. Um, seven or eight receivers, This or and if it is seven, is it Toure or Winfrey? I, I don't think the question is seven or eight. I think is it six or seven. I've never even entertained the possibility that they keep eight because they have needs elsewhere, and you really only – use four, maybe five receivers anyway, you know, substantially. I think they keep seven, and that group includes Amari Rogers and Winfrey. I don't, I, I think Toure is going to be a practice squad guy. He's done some nice things, but that drop is going to hurt. That drop is going to piss some people off, and all it takes is one thing to rub someone the wrong way. And I, I understand it's about a bigger body of work, and he had the the big catch uh, to win the two-minute two drill, or I should say the big catch is uh, both the 50-yard touchdown and the two-point conversion to win the two-minute drill for the backups on Wednesday. But uh, I think there are other guys, seven other guys ahead of him, um, and I think they'll keep seven because Winfrey's just done too much to keep him off the roster. And Amari Rogers, I just don't 
I don't think Amari Rogers' play warrants a spot on the 53-man roster, but I don't think Brian Gutekunst will cut a guy a year after he traded up for him in the third round. Yeah, you know, and receiver's like the biggest dime a dozen position, isn't it? No one's going to claim Samari Touré on waivers. No one. Because every, 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 every team has Samari Touré. College football is such a wide-open sport now. Everybody throws the ball. So there's all sorts of receivers every single year. And if you lose Touré this year, you go you go draft him next year, right? You go draft the next Samari Touré. It is just, you know, the Devontae Adams and those guys are legit game changers. And all these bomb the depth chart guys are the same. You know, whether you're Jake Kumaro, um, going back further, you know, Tory Gurley was here. People thought he was the next big thing, and he got cut and never showed up ever again. Everybody's got eight receivers. They all love them. No one's picking up Winfrey or Torrey Powell. If I do agree, you keep seven. Winfrey's been a number one on special teams in a couple of phases. And the quarterback right. and the quarterback seems to like him. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Rodgers has name-dropped, like I said, Winfrey at least twice this preseason. Um, and I understand, uh, and I mean this seriously, after the hubbub that the Jake Kumaro incident caused a couple years ago when they cut him the day after Rodgers praised him, after all the progress the relationship between Brian Gutekunst and Aaron Rodgers has made, I honestly believe the Jake Kumaro incident might factor into the, or I should say, I honestly believe the Jake Kumaro incident will factor into a potential decision to keep or cut Juwan Winfrey. Yeah, is that is that a crazy thing to say? No, the thing thing back then, Kumro had no special teams value. Winfrey does, right? I want to say he's the number one on both return units, so that matters. Torrey is not. All right, last question from Spencer: With Zach Tom playing well tonight at tackle, any chance they put Elton back at guard and Tom out to right tackle? Feels like the best version of the top five guys. You know, I do think. Zach Tom might be in the best five. But will the staff want to put a rookie out there against Daniil Hunter and Zedarius Smith right away? I don't know. I honestly think the, the first five in week one, if I, if I had to make a guess, gun to head, from left to right, Yash Nyman, John Runyon Jr., Josh Myers, Royce Newman, and Elton Jenkins. Yes. It is right tackle is the most underrated position on the team. Um, the, the days are long, long, long gone where the number one pass rusher goes up against the left tackle because he's trying to attack the blind side. That is Correct. that is ancient history. I wrote a story a while back and I wish I had it in front of me. He I think this year's right tackle is gonna face like ten or eleven matchups with the guys who had nine plus sacks. You better, you better be able to lock down both those edges. I think they'll be okay with the Osh because you can help. And then uh, Elton locks down right tackle and you feel pretty good about things. That's a good point. All right, let's get out of here. Nobody wants to listen to us babble anymore. We'll be back with a third episode in the preseason of Head of the Pack after the Packers play the Chiefs in their preseason finale. That would be a great game. And then guess Matt. what? The Packers starters might play. That's true, actually. So we, we, we might get to see them a little bit. Uh, obviously, stay tuned on Bill's Twitter feed, my Twitter feed, Bill on SI, me on The Athletic all week as the season nears just over three weeks 
until the Packers play the Vikings in Minnesota. For Bill, I'm Matt. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time.